For the Millers, movie nights were once tradition. Now Sarah could hardly get through the opening credits, not on that old couch. But one day while shopping on QVC.com, she learned Lazy Boy recliners had slimmed down a bit. And in just a few clicks, Sarah got her Lazy Boy chair and a popcorn maker and a soundbar by Bose. And with one quick trip to QVC.com, Movie Night and Sarah's Back were saved. Shop QVC.com slash podcast and use code QVC20podcast for $20 off $40 for new customers. This is shopping brought to life. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. friends what's up welcome back to the new evangelicals podcast another episode this week this is our third one this week it's been a busy busy week and this episode is really unique we accidentally interviewed doug wilson i know that sounds kind of crazy and you're gonna hear in the intro um after i actually when i start the actual interview that i i kind of clarify what that actually means but essentially this episode is with me and um someone who works on our team named dan catchpole he's an actual bonafide journalist and i asked him a while ago um to do a deep dive on doug wilson so we can do a podcast episode on it and he ended up reaching out to doug to do an interview with him to kind of get more information and doug obliged so we have this hour-long recording and so i went through it with dan and we pulled some pieces and kind of did this episode um talking about Doug and and you know what he does at Christchurch and Canon Press and all of those things. So, let me just say for some people out there, you know, just to be transparent with you, this episode is primarily focused on educating people and just doing our best to represent Doug as fairly and honestly as possible. That being said, of course, my color commentary is all throughout this episode, but Dan is really like the the, the journalist in this episode. So, you're going to hear him be much more neutral, and that's because I Asked him to be. I told him just to give me the straight up data that he found because I don't want people thinking that we are, um, you know, misrepresenting people uh, that we find either problematic or that we critique because we're not trying to be this like quote unquote far left, uh, you know, um, info wars, if you will. We're not trying to do that at all. We are genuinely concerned about the state of evangelical culture and Doug Wilson uh, for many reasons and the empire that he's built and the people he he uh, hangs out with concern us. They concern us. So we did a deep dive. And so this episode is all about that. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, hello, my name is Tim. I am the creator facilitator of the New Evangelicals. We're a nonprofit organization. Our mission statement is that we're a Jesus-centered inclusive community that holds space for folks marginalized by the church, advocates for accountability, and helps people explore the Christian tradition outside of the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. We also do a lot of work helping people understand why we as an organization and I guess culture resist Christian nationalism, why we see it um, as very problematic and dangerous, and ultimately how why we see it um, as, as antithetical or antichrist in nature. So this is one of those episodes. That's what you're in for. This is all about trying to let you know that, um, that, that people in these spaces exist. Here's what they're advocating for. Here's them in their own words. We're not strawmanning the position as best as we know how. And, um, 
You should be informed. You should be aware of what's actually happening in the spaces that many of us have called home for a long, long time. So that being said, I'm going to play the episode. There was a slight um, audio um, sync issue. So if you hear me talking over something or interrupting Dan, it's not as bad as it might sound in the actual interview. I just want to give you a heads up. Hey, I would love your feedback on this episode. Feel free to shoot me a DM um, on our Instagram at the New Evangelicals or an email, thenewevangelicals at gmail.com. I love your feedback back. And yeah, here we go. Here goes nothing. I hope that you find this episode helpful and we'll talk again soon. Thanks. I'm an amateur, Dan, I tell you. Um, all right, friends, I'm restarting this co- recording because we were one minute in and I realized I had the wrong microphone turned on. So take two of this intro. Friends, it's good to be here with you. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is going to be a very special and unique episode. And I really implore you to just hang in there stay stay with us stick with us be in for the ride we are going to unpack um a person that i think is very important to understand because when we tell you that as an organization we are concerned about christian nationalism you all know if you listen to the show we bring in folks like samuel perry jamar tisby of people who are actually tracking this stuff but this episode we're actually going to do a deep dive on one of the i would say perhaps most influential leaders in Christian nationalism today, Doug Wilson. And to do that, I brought Dan Catchpole on the show. Dan, it's good to have you here. You are a legitimate journalist who put a lot of time and effort into doing a deep dive on Doug Wilson for our podcast. So a sincere thank you for doing that. It really means a lot. Well, Tim, thanks for having me on. I'm really happy to be here. I, I, so yeah, I'll just introduce myself quickly. Uh, so I'm sure. a professional journalist, mainstream media. I, you know, worked for the Associated Press, various newspapers, Fortune magazine, and yeah, I, I reached out to you a few months ago. We uh, to do some research for you guys as a journalist. So just the same skills and approach that I apply in my day job, taking it over here to do some research for you. That said, yeah, I I am a devout practicing Christian Episcopalian. So evangelicalism to me sounds like a foreign, like totally separate religion sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair. Fair enough. Um, but uh, yeah. So again, as working as a professional journalist, that's, I put that stuff aside. So yeah, one of the, uh, one thing early on you asked me to look into, I'll just throw this out there. I really made me, gave me confidence in you know working with you. Uh, you asked me to look into like Ali Beth Stuckey's claims about debt forgiveness. And I came back and I was like, you know, a lot of these economic claims actually are pretty accurate. And you're like, all right, well, let's move on to the next thing. It wasn't, um, you know, you weren't going to be, you weren't going to criticize her if there was nothing to criticize. Like you were like, well, <laughs> the facts, the facts say otherwise. So that's not what we're going to you know talk about. So. Yeah, I, you know, I appreciate that, and I, 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 I hope that the audience knows, and I think we communicate this. We, we really try and be honest. We're, we're trying to be intellectually honest. We're not trying to sound a certain way or, or to use propaganda to bolster our own perspectives. We really try and be just as data-driven as possible. Of course, we have our bias. We have our perspectives, but we try not to make things up. You know, if, if people listen to the show, they know <laughs> we brought on folks like Samuel Perry, uh, who tracks Christian nationalism on the academic level. We, we bring people on to really unpack this. So I, I I wanted to also, though, do a deep dive on some of the leaders of Christian nationalism because it's, I think it's important for us to understand that we are not 
making this stuff up. Like when we say Christian nationalism wants perhaps uh, some form of theocracy in America or or wants to privilege a specific um, f- brand or flavor of Christianity over everyone and everything else, we're not exaggerating when we tell you that. So what I did, friends, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow up Dan's spot here. So I told Dan, I said, Dan, listen. Let's do a deep dive on Doug Wilson. I, from what I've heard and seen, in my opinion, he's very problematic. Uh, a lot of stuff that we're going to get into, but I want to just kind of give the audience a deeper, a, a deep cut on why Doug is someone to watch out for and something, someone that that we should be resisting. And then, like a week later, you go, "Hey, um, I'm going to interview him on Monday," and I almost spit out my drink and said, "I'm sorry, you're interviewing Doug Wilson." Like. Wow, talk about you know just going to that next level. But it's true. You actually sat down with Doug Wilson for what? I think a little over an hour and yeah. interviewed him in preparation for this podcast. So my hat's off to you, honestly, because wow. You gotta go to the source if you're gonna talk about somebody. Yeah, it was it was scheduled Fair. for an hour and he he let it we ran long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you did. I know. I listened to it twice. I listened to your interview <laughs> twice. Now, audience, I, I, I'm I, probably going to say this. I have not recorded the intro yet, but I'm probably going to say this in the intro. I understand that if you know who Doug Wilson is, you're like, oh, my God, he's so problematic. In my opinion, in my view, and I think we have data to, to uh, back this up, is yes, I agree. We also have to let people know what's going on and, and and part of that is doing these educational approaches of let's dive into why we think the way that we do and that does include reaching out to the source and hearing what they have to say in their own words so of course i just want to give now a trigger warning because this is very heavy stuff some of it is misogynistic uh, some of, of of the stuff we're going to talk about is racist etc so this might not, might not be the episode for you necessarily i totally understand and respect that but that being said we do want to have this episode out so people understand exactly what when, again, when we say Christian nationalism is problematic, you understand that we actually have receipts to back up our claims. Whether you believe they're problematic or not is up to you to decide, but I think we have plenty of evidence. So without further ado, Dan, did I miss anything Anything, anything else that, that, that you want no. to add before we get hop into it? All right, good. No, Let's start good. rolling. I, I, uh, so the, the dynamic here, audience, will be I'm going to be the color commentator. You know, just kind of saying the quiet parts out loud. But Dan really legitimately is a journalist, and he's approaching this as a journalist. And that's because I told, I asked him to. I said, Dan, can you give me like some journalistic integrity, you know, on a story like this so we can actually dig into it? So that being said, let's kind of start big picture because there could be people who go, who is Doug Wilson? I've only seen bits and pieces of uh, about him on Twitter. I don't know much about him. So, so Dan, in your research, you know, who is actually Doug Wilson on a big tent, big picture level? So the reason we're talking about Doug Wilson is because he is a Christian nationalist and especially a culture warrior who's risen to prominence as uh, very influential. He kind of, so he does this in a few roles. He's a pastor at a church in Moscow, Idaho. He's a pundit, a publisher of, he's got a media empire. And also he's very involved in homeschooling Christian classical education, the Christian, Christian classical education movement. So through all these efforts, uh, he's really built a very influential, or his, his work's become very influential in the U.S. where conservative Christianity is today, where it's going, especially. And he's you know hangs out with a wide range of people from more extremist people like Jeff Durbin down in Arizona, um, Joel Webin, I think from right, I actually 
scratch that. I'd have to double check that. But Stephen Wolf, uh, you know, outspoken Christian yeah, nationalist, yeah. two more mainstream people, relatively speaking, like John Piper, and even you know, appearing on uh, writing on the Gospel Coalition and like coming on for a, a episode of the uh, podcast Unbelievable that Premier Christianity over in the UK does, which is a very you know central centrist Christian publication. Uh, or yeah, publication and podcasting company. Sorry, you broke up there for a second. Can you just repeat that? Uh, per, uh, per, premier uh, oh, podcast. Yeah, it? so he he was on uh, a, an episode of the podcast Unbelievable, which is produced by Premier Christianity. And it's a very like centrist podcast that has a huge following. You know, premier Christianity puts on international conferences, so he's hanging out with very he's talking with extremists going to uh, hanging out with them but then also because of his demeanor because of his work as you know uh, in education and other areas he's being platformed um in very mainstream places do you think it's safe to say that in a way doug is one of those like bridge people where he kind of has a foot in bo- both worlds and he's kind of connecting some of the more extreme and what what people might really think is fringe perspectives but to more mainstream platforms like like premier christianity or he has the ear of john piper or writing for the gospel coalition uh yeah to some degree i i don't know it's it's tough to say how much he's actually weaving these people together versus these are just kind of different areas that he's active in. I, I really don't have any insight into yeah, how much he's bringing people together in the same room. Yeah, that's, I think that that's a fair point. You know, we don't, we don't want to assume things, but I, I agree with you. I mean, I've, I've seen him, you know, talk to John Piper. Then I see him promote through his publishing company, Canon Press, Stephen Wolf's new book, uh, A Case for Christian Nationalism, which we'll touch on a little bit later on. So certainly there is these connections. And again, people think that he's pretty fringe, but he has quite the empire. Um, you know, he has, like we said earlier, Canon Publishing, which publishes many books. He has his own uh, now subscription service called Canon Plus, where he's releasing, I think, a documentary, something titled like 11 Ways to Save the Country or something like that. So, so, Doug is he's a prolific writer he he has a blog that he posts on uh, daily he produces content all the time that racks up thousands of views on YouTube so he's he's definitely someone in the mix and I would say shaping how Christian nationalism is currently acting behaving believing and what it's espousing in our, in, in our more mainstream circles oh absolutely and I think one area that where he's really active in and probably the the area that he's been working the longest is uh, Christian education, homeschooling is focused on classical education. So, you know, the Greeks, the Romans that like really a traditional liberal arts uh, approach in some sense, (laughs) actually scratch that, not a liberal arts approach (laughs) because it's very intentionally biblical, but liberal arts and in as much as it's like heavy focus on, uh, you know, the, the reading list is drawn from kind of classic education hundred years ago. Okay. Uh, and that's something yeah. that he's been active in since the early nineties. He wrote uh, a book in 1991 on Christian education for a series that was edited by Marvin Alasky, the former editor of uh, world magazine. I think. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, we, he, he said during the interview that, that, that he 
is at least influenced by Rush Dooney in some way, especially early Rush Dooney. And I know RJ Rush Dooney, who we've actually talked to um, um, uh, Julie Ingersoll, who kind of wrote a book on mm-hmm. RJ Rush Dooney and the Reconstruction Movement. They're very big on on um, they might call it alternative education models, but it really comes down to dismantling public education and replacing it with either public uh, private schooling uh, or homeschooling. So, so Doug, I, I, it makes sense that that he would be in that field, given that R.J. Rush Dooney has influenced him as a theologian. Yeah, and I mean, he's really picked up Rush Dooney's work and moved it forward in terms of that homeschooling movement uh, and created a classic Christian education association, I forget exactly its name, that has you know a few hundred uh, schools that belong to it now. Mm-hmm. He, you know, there's conferences, etc. He, he's got uh, a college, an in-person K-12 through school, and uh, an online school, Lagos Online. And as well, is he's written a bunch of homeschooling material or edited it. Uh, like there's, you know, I was just looking at one that you know, it's him and then some of the other folks who've written in it, like Steve Bonson, um, Steve Wilkins, former co-founder of the League of the South. Uh, wow. Jeez. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so these are, again, it's, I don't have the numbers to say like what percentage of the market he has for Christian homeschool material, but it's certainly, he's a, he is a very influential force in that area. So what is Doug doing all of this for? Like, what's his big picture goal here? Or, or you know, I guess there, there's a short-term and a long-term goal for Doug, but what is the motivation for why he's really building his own little empire in Moscow, Idaho? Yeah, so he's picked up the work that his father actually started, at least in terms of the short-term goal, which is his father, when Doug was younger, moved the family to Moscow, Idaho, very intentionally found it's a you know, college town, University of Idaho. There's Washington State University not far away. So it's kind of like a bluish area in a conservative state. And so they were looking for that as with the idea of creating a kind of a mass of conservative, reformed, the- theologically con- reformed, you know, Calvinist uh Christians that would create this, their vision of a, what a Christian society should be in Moscow, Idaho. So they, Mm. uh, in the seventies, late seventies, Doug Wilson started his church, Christ church. There's been a few spinoffs that, you know, uh, in the area. And so the, that short-term goal is still working on that, like transforming Moscow, Idaho, which seems like they've kind of plateaued in terms of their growth there somewhat. and then also, I mean, as a pundit, he's very involved. A lot of the stuff you mentioned, how prolific he is. I mean, like blog posts, podcasts, constantly. A lot of that is focused on punditry and commentary on culture war stuff. Mm. And then, but the longer term is probably his more important work, I think, at least from his perspective. And that's really to, through you know, the, his church, his pastoral work, but then also his educational work, to create a cohort of conservative Christians who, as he sees it, are living, you know, biblical as biblical Christians that will then create a mass uh, for American society to take us back to what he sees as the Christian nation that the country should be. And I want to play this clip that we have uh, of, of, 
your interview with Doug, where Doug kind of spells out what he wants to see long term, at least as far as our constitution uh, goes. So here, here, here's the clip. I would basically want societal recognition and ideally through the constitution, if the people were holding everyone to it, uh, of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and that Caesar is therefore not divine. So there is this view that Doug has of ultimately for him and for what he would, I guess, call Christian nationalism would, would be living in a society that, that in its founding documents has some kind of caveat or clause that says we as a society recognize that Jesus is Lord, which is pretty much, I mean, again, people say, oh, Tim, you're exaggerating the claims. It's like, we're just putting... We're giving you these clips in their own words. We're not editing them. This is not out of context. You ask the question. This is part of his answer. This is what they want. Um, Do you think for Doug, this is like a long-term goal or a short-term goal? Yeah, just quickly uh, for listeners, to your point about not taking this stuff out of context, I gave him a copy of the recording. And so if he feels like anything is taken out of context, he's welcome to release the full full interview. Uh, I'm sorry, you were asking if that's short-term or long-term? Yeah. So he that's one of his goals that he would like to see in his lifetime. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's that's good. That's that's helpful and good to know. So how does how does Doug, you know, I how does Doug view what happens to people who are are not Christians in this new society that he's trying to be a part of forming, you know, like what happens to gay people, what happens to atheists, etc. uh in this society under Christian nationalism? Yeah, well, and so I should say that he wants to see the preamble in his lifetime, you know, recognizing Jesus Christ has fallen and risen for our salvation, actually establishing that mere Christendom, Christendom, uh, as he calls it, um, vision society, that he figures is a longer term goal, mm, um, okay. which, I mean, considering how hard it is to amend the Constitution, that seems <laughs> an ambitious task to undertake in the in a lifetime but uh the where the you sorry you asked me about the place for those people in this vision right yeah uh, i mean so, like you know rj yeah. rush dooney advocated for stoning gay people in some of his works yeah is doug wilson like yes we should do that uh in in christian nationalism so he's a softer kinder brand of christian reconstructionism He's. I think he described himself as Christian Reconstructionist light. So he does not want to. He he does not want to stone uh, gay people or transgender people or anybody like that uh, who doesn't fit biblical norms of gender. Uh, he doesn't want to execute those people. But that said, uh, thank God. <laughs> Jesus. That said, you know, gay marriage certainly wouldn't be allowed. Uh, he does believe in free speech. He's a ardent. He, he insists that free speech and you know, re- respect uh, for these people will, or for all people, uh, will th- those are Christian virtues that will be central to the, his vision of mere Christendom. And that mm-hmm. you know, he says people who, like an atheist, will have more liberty under the government that he or the society that he wants to see than he does today. Right. Well, let's play a clip from Doug talking about how, you know, um, queer people in his mind would not be persecuted, uh, you know, or or dehumanized under his worldview. So here's what Doug said during your interview. Yeah, I think you've described yourself, if I remember correctly, as kind of a 
softer version of the reconstructionism yeah. expressed by Rush Dooney. You're you're not advocating it, let's stone homosexuals. Correct. Right. But I mean they they wouldn't be allowed to marry. Right. They would not be they would not be allowed to marry. Um they, they would there would not be any legal recognition of their relationships. That 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 is true, right? But yeah, there wouldn't be um persecution of them either i think a lot of this would go away or would be um, dealt with largely if we simply stopped applauding and subsidizing so so doug first off i find it uh comical that doug thinks that taking away people's <coughs> that, that doug thinks that if we take away people's right to live in a society that is quote unquote free where they can marry and be recognized regardless of what Doug thinks. That's not really persecution uh, because he's not stoning them to death. Uh, so thank you, benevolent, you know, Doug. But at the end of it, I think he kind of gets to maybe one of his core beliefs, which is that he seems to be someone who, at least in this interview, doesn't seem to be really a fan of like uh, advocating for a lot of laws that would force people to become Christian. But in reality, he, you know, he, he, he talks about this in a different part of the interview where he says that, Hey, you know, when I was growing up, uh, it was a felony to be gay everywhere. And that kind of like uh, made, made it culturally unacceptable to be queer. So it sounds like Doug's ideal world is when we're going back to that time frame. Um, where, you know, oh, it's just, it's not, it's not popular. It's not accepted culturally to, to come out of, of the closet, so to speak. So yeah, gay people, of course they wouldn't get married because people would never tolerate that, even if it wasn't technically illegal, which again, you know, I, I don't think under Doug's worldview, based on what I know about him, he would say, yeah, it shouldn't be illegal. We'll just discourage it. I think that he would put laws on the books. Yeah, it's. You raise a really good point in that it, it brings out a lot of the tensions in these and kind of seeming contradictions in in the in what he's uh, talking about and how he's trying to balance that where you're saying, well, you have we have an explicitly religious Christian nation, um, which he said, you know, is a Protestant, conservative Protestant nation. Right. And yet we are going to maintain uh, freedom of speech and, and civil liberties for these people, you know, minus things like marriage. I, I wish I'd asked him like, well, what about somebody who's fired for being, you know, because they, they're outed. Like, is that what happens then? Um, right. Yeah. You know, he's spoken. He, he said, we, you know, he wishes that we could go back to a 1950s kind of Eisenhower social uh, consensus where even if everybody wasn't, a Christian, like he, a, a biblical Christian, as he would describe it, there was a kind of Christian consensus in terms of norms. That said, you know, he he thinks America started going off the tracks in about the 1830s with the Second Great Awakening, hmm. and then really went downhill. And there was a key turning point with abolitionism and the Civil War, uh, and then with the the adoption of the income tax on the constitution. And so, I mean, a lot of it has to do with his views on the relationship as he, and, and uh, his analysis of this, how it fundamentally changed the relationship between the government and people and becoming, instead of a Christian nation, we became a nation where you know, we worship the democratic government institution. 
Right. Well, I do. I think this is this is a good time to bring up that that Doug has some pretty abhorrent views. I think when it comes to slavery and, and women. Uh, here's a quote from from a book in 1996 that he wrote, or, or I'm sorry, that that he co-authored uh, with who you mentioned, by the way, the League of the South co-founder Steve Wilkins, which is a uh, a blatant, you know, uh, Confederate hate group. Uh, but it says in here's a, just just a, a small quote from the book. This is Doug quote: "Slavery as it existed in the South was not an adversarial relationship with pervasive racial animosity." Because of its dominantly patriarchal character, it was a relationship based upon mutual affection and confidence. There has never been a multiracial society which has existed with such mutual mutual intimacy and harmony in the history of the world, unquote. So, you know, I, I have a hard time trusting Doug's um, um, uh, judgment on this uh, based on, on how he's talked about something that is blatantly dehumanizing. In fact, Doug has said in a blog post that 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 the issue, in his words, of homosexuality is a much more serious issue than slavery. Um, you know, it's a much more serious uh, problem, and and I think that is just so telling of of, of where Doug's uh, moral ethics lie, where owning other humans is not as problematic as what two people do in their own bedroom privately. Um, did you find that in your interview and in your research as well? Or what are your thoughts on that? Well, so he, yeah, uh, that he ardently, or he makes no apologies about defending and believing in what he calls a Pauline vision of slavery. And that said, he describes the chattel slavery in America that existed in this, yeah, this bucolic kind of like hand in hand way that just is completely untrue based on, I don't, I don't it's hard to even describe mountains of, yeah, of firsthand right. sources. Um, yeah. That's just not how the system worked. It was a violent, oppressive system that, and you might find some, weird exception here and there. Uh, but uh, he, as much as he does not like talking about slavery and that public or that pamphlet that he wrote with Stephen Wilkins, it does come up in other ways in his writings and his commentary. Um, he, and I will say I, he condemns racism. I also think he has a very narrow view of racism of it's like very deliberate personal animus, like a lynching right. say. Um, right. because he doesn't see chattel slavery as an inherently racist system. He, mm-hmm. I, I was listening to an a, a address he gave earlier today before this, I was catching up on some of the material. And he said in it that, you know, the, the defenders of slavery, even though they were defending an institution he doesn't believe in, and it's you know good that it's over, they were their exegesis was better than the abolitionists who were basically just like totally making a mockery of biblical Christianity and pushing these radical extremist views and lies about, you know, uh, about the South. And it's, so, I mean, it's very much a part of um, Southern apologists after the civil war there, this vision that they created. And one of his, one of his inspirations uh, one of the people he holds it who's really influenced him is um, R.L. Dabney, who was the pastor for uh, General Longstreet, uh, one of the top Confederate generals during the war. 
And Dabney was a um, conservative Presbyterian minister, pastor, who was also wrote a bunch on the importance of Christian education and was certainly um, you know, a, an apologist for the South after the war. Well, I, I, on, a, on a brief side note to the audience, you know, this is why we say the Bible can be used as a tool for liberation or as a weapon of oppression, because Doug is not wrong when he says that the Bible does not condemn slavery or, or that the Bible gives you uh, certain aspects that slavery isn't always bad, quote unquote. He's not wrong when he says that. But that is the concern, I think, of, of the fundamentalist lens of reading the Bible through such a what they think is a literal, just what, what, what this text plainly says says, it can get you into a lot of trouble uh, like this, where before you know it, you know, you're making um, comments like, well, <laughs> yeah, maybe slavery wasn't great how it was done, but uh, it was more about uh, about the method that was the problem, not the actual idea, you know, as Doug really has hinted at many times before. And like I said, he has he has said that uh, that 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 homosexuality or you know he calls it sodomy is a much more serious issue uh than slavery and that should really tell us something about that i also want to just throw in one thing uh so in his book on race black and tan uh that he just released an updated edition of this uh, i I didn't check if this is in the updated edition I, i assume it is but um it was certainly in the the previous edition he says that you know for however bad slavery was at least it uh it introduced people from africa to christianity and that was worth it which is interesting like there's that's a a key argument that was made by a lot of proponents of slavery they're like look yeah sure we might be kidnapping them and brutalizing them and etc etc um but at least they're getting the gospel that said i feel like i've said that said like a dozen times so i apologize um yeah it's it, to your point, the Bible can be misused, and, and it, it has been uh, in horrendous ways. I also one thing that, just as on a personal note, um, I gives me some hope in this uh, is that knowing that the Bible that slave owners, to what degree they allowed slaves to have Bibles and to read, it was a very abridged version that just cut out huge portions of all the themes of emancipation and freedom, uh, you know, from Exodus and Genesis and Exodus to revelation. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, exactly. Okay. I want to keep moving because there's so much more to cover and time isn't moving. It's also important to recognize uh, Doug Wilson and his treatment of women. Um, And also I would argue just really um, unwise decision-making that's putting it very, you know, uh, politely, I think, uh, of, 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 of allowing pedophiles into his congregation who he ended up marrying off to someone in his church, um, who ended up, um, admitting on a polygraph test that he was sexually stimulated by his five month old. Uh, so, so this is a more well known for those of you who, who know who Doug Wilson is well known, um, uh, situation that, that Doug was a part of, but you know, Steven Sittler, this, this was the whole thing in, from 2005 up to, up to 2015. And there were a lot of just blatantly missed things that should have been covered. Um, and so you that's not even like, you know, those those things when they happen, of, of course, are terrible. 
But it's even more common things like like Doug saying on camera that, you know, the Apostle Paul uh, really wants women primarily to be, to be making the sandwiches and to having the babies. That's kind of their use uh, primarily, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, what, what did you find in, in your digging on Doug's views of women and, and, and their roles? When you're struggling with your mental health, the world can seem pretty heavy, like no one understands what you're feeling or you're not sure how to ask for help. But here's the real truth. You're never in this alone. 988 Lifelines trained crisis counselors are available 24-7 to offer the help and support you need to make it through. No judgment, no stigma, just someone to listen. Text or call 988-SUICIDE-IN-CRISIS-LIFELINE, day or night. 988. Hope has a new number. For the Millers, movie nights were once tradition. Now Sarah could hardly get through the opening credits, not on that old couch. But one day while shopping on QVC.com, she learned Lazy Boy recliners had slimmed down a bit. And in just a few clicks, Sarah got her Lazy Boy chair and a popcorn maker and a soundbar by Bose. And with one quick trip to QVC.com, Movie Night and Sarah's back were saved. Shop QVC.com podcast and use code QVC20podcast for $20 off $40 for new customers. This is shopping brought to life. So eat. He certainly is not as dismissive or you know, he doesn't put down women the way that, say, somebody like Mark Driscoll does in just some like really cringy kind of ways. Um, it, but he certainly believes in their very clear gender roles laid out in uh, the Bible, as, again, as he interprets it. And that's really how it's supposed to be. He's got some flexibility in that, I think. Uh, he certainly believes that women should be educated and not, I forget the, the exact line, but like not just taught to read so they can read the, you know, directions for making you know, a recipe, but mm-hmm. that his, his daughter, there's a debate in, uh, in the church, whether she should go to college. Um, and he was like, yeah, of course she's going to go to college because she should be educated. She's going to raise you know, kids who need to be part of this Christian movement. And her, his daughters have written several books at the same time, though, the way he talks about men and women and how they're like how our brains work, it's and his perception of the gender roles. You know, women are emotional; uh, they like novels about relationships. Men are mission-driven, solution-driven. They like you know books about uh, like Guns of Navarone, I suppose. Like, go blow up a German, you know, gun emplacement. Um, and and like manuals about how to do stuff and you know he's not one of these like chest thumping let's go out into the back country and get a bunch of semi-automatic weapons and show how masculine we are but he does talk about how america and the church have become effeminized by like abandoning objective truth and being too empathetic and uh you know that we need to be centered on biblical truth. We've got it. We know what it is. And if you disagree with us, then you know, in terms of like women, it's easy. If you see them as driven by emotion, if they, if a woman objects to something you're saying, it seems easy to then just dismiss it as, well, you're being emotional. Right. It does seem like, you know, there, there's a blog post that was 
semi-viral because of, of, of the contents that he titled The Natural Use of Women, where he pretty much talks about how egalitarianism is is junk. And I, I'm not sure if it's in this blog post, but he has something, and, I, and maybe this is, you know, respectfully, maybe I, I would I would say that that even though he won't yell on camera like Mark Driscoll will, he still uses pretty dehumanizing language about women. Like, he has a, a quote that says something pretty much to the effect of, like, men are designed to conquer and penetrate, and women are designed to sit there and pretty much just take it. You know, and it's like that kind of language that Doug has used uh, before about the roles of men and women and how women women are to be totally submissive to scripture. And he, it, I, I think this all operates, and tell me if I'm wrong here, in this hierarchical framing of, of the world, of what he would call nature, of you have God, you have the government, you have family, the church, then you have men who rule those things, women are under men, and then, and, and then the children are kind of the last in the totem pole here, so to speak, or they're, 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 they're on the very bottom of uh, of the hierarchy and and as long as those things that's almost like the created ideal and then of course when things happen like if someone's husband passes away yeah sure number two becomes number one but ideally the man is always leading over his household and the woman is submitting to his leadership that, that's kind of my perception of doug's theology on that yes that seems like a pretty good overview and uh oh yeah you were well, I was going to say, I, I wanted to play a clip about no. this, actually, because this actually ties into, again, how he would want a Christian nationalist society to be ordered. Because Doug is someone who believes long-term, ideally, it would not be individuals who vote. It would be um, households that vote for their political candidate. Uh, and again, this follows, This makes sense when you view everything as patriarchal and, and, and hierarchical, and men are the ones really leading this. So here's kind of Doug's uh, uh, discussion about that, kind of comparing it to his church. Here we go. Okay. So we, when we vote for a new elder or a new deacon, uh, the, the, we tally up votes by household. And if the head of the household is a woman, like Lydia in Acts 16, uh, Paul baptized Lydia and her household. Um, if the head of the household is a woman, and we have a number of women in our congregation who are the heads of their households, um, they vote. Um, so it's not it's not this individual um, female voting or this individual male voting it's recognizing the household as a societal unit and we hear from the representative of that household and doug goes on to say that's how ideally voting would happen now it's important to recognize you might hear that and say oh look he says that women are heads of their households i would argue based on what i've heard doug say that that's only happening for a reason of like the husband's not around or he passed away, but it, it is what is the most natural function is that the man is the head of the household and the exception would be when a woman needs to step up, you know, but I, I would argue to say that in Doug's church, if there was a woman who was in charge of her household, including over her husband in that sense, that Doug talks about it, you know, reversed, uh, that would be a problem. And they'd probably label her, uh, label her a Jezebel spirit or a contentious wife. Yes. Um, and you know, I, I just want to quickly, uh, in terms of the hierarchy, so this is a part of his presuppositionalism, and I believe I'm mostly sure about this, but uh, listeners, you can double check this to fact check me. I, I believe the order goes, yeah, God, Christ, f family within that, you know, husband, ch wife, children, and then church and government. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, uh, there's 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 some meme that was well, not meme, but a picture um, that was going around trying to find it that kind of like spelt it out. But you could be right about that. Yeah. Well, I just know that. I mean, with it's I make that distinction because with uh, Doug Wilson, he's very much so he advocates for what he calls theocratic libertarianism. It's this offshoot mm-hmm. of Christian Reconstructionism. You know, there's a lot of uh, Christian Reconstructionism has had an influential role in the conservative libertarian movement nowadays and uh so he he really wants a very small government uh that you know doesn't have the force or power to oppress people or as you mentioned earlier he doesn't want to convert people by knocking their heads together he wants to convert them by persuasion right no that that is helpful oh did i lose you no i'm i'm here okay your video just crapped out on me but if you're still here Oh, You're still here. I can see my video. So that could be on my end. I, maybe my internet dropped. I don't know. Not important to this conversation. So <laughs> I think this is a good time. You know, I this this is helpful, Dan, like what you said. And again, friends, I hope that this is – I hope that ultimately this is arming you with an understanding of why we critique Christian nationalism and why we critique people in these spaces because ultimately we believe that, that their worldview and ideology actually is dehumanizing and is more about power and control over others uh, but based on, on patriarchy and ultimately white men uh, doing a lot of that. I want to move back to, for a minute and I know we got a little bit we got a little ahead of ourselves here but let's go back to to the racial Doug would say he's not a racist but I'm going to say the racial animus that, that that Doug continues to show because during your interview, you talked about the January 6th insurrection, uh, and Doug did a pretty classic maneuver where he immediately uh, really downplayed the January 6th insurrection and then um, upplayed uh, the Black Lives Matter protests that happened when George Floyd was murdered. Um, I'm going to play a clip um, and, and let the audience hear it, and then we'll kind of dig into it. The Jan- What happened on January 6th, uh, you've said you understood the... Uh, the inspiration for it, what they were trying to do, but I, I believe you called it buffoonery. Yeah, so, if I'm remembering yeah, correctly, yeah. so I mean, you you've been critical yeah. uh, at times. It's you've spent a lot more time talking about the other side than than being critical of your people who are seen as being on the same um, political, social, yeah. cultural side as you. Well, uh, uh, yeah. Part of the reason is, I, I, and I stand by the buffoonery. Uh, when you look, when you look at how much mileage the left has gotten out of January sixth, um, and w- the fact that Alex Jones was outside the Capitol yelling at people not to go in, it was a trick. When Alex Jones is the voice of reason, <laughs> you know, you know that something's going seriously wrong. And I'm going to play one more clip here. I don't have any problem at all with every. Every person who trespassed on the Capitol that day being given a $250 ticket, (laughs) you know, just here you go. But what you had, what you had there was an unruly crowd who busted into the Capitol, got outside the velvet ropes, right? Uh, And you compare that to the summer of rioting. So, so we have this, um, you know, already I would call false equivalency, but Doug really plays into this idea that, you know, January 6th, few bad people, maybe it was more buffoonery, but in the interview, I don't know if I, if I have the clip here, he calls the BLM protests evil at one point. He actually uses the term evil and then says, but the January 6th insurrection was not evil. Um, and, and to me, 
I can't say I was surprised by that, but I do find it interesting that 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 the person who wants law and order, uh, et cetera, uh, really seems to be soft and really to downplay um, what was really an overthrowing or at least in, an attempted overthrow of our election process. That's buffoonery. But the Black Lives Matter protests uh, for him were evil. What, what are your thoughts on that as you were talking to him? I think that's a really good characterization of how the difference, different ways that he talks about these. And as we know from data, that's uh, I'm blanking on the name, the the database of that gathered up reports of twelve thousand plus demonstrations during that summer. Yeah, yeah, a tiny fraction of them, six yeah. percent perhaps, uh, were turned violent, and some of those the violence was initiated by police. So, but to hear him talk about it, and he will acknowledge that he did acknowledge that when I raised it in the interview and he's like, well, that's great. I, for those that weren't violent, super, I I'm all for what they were, you know, for their, for them exercising free speech, but to hear him talk about it, to read his material, he doesn't talk about it that way. He pretty much only talks about uh, black lives matter as a, you know, in terms of its riots, it's driven by envy, personal d- desire for material gain. It's a very cynical view of that it totally dismisses and doesn't engage with the actual racial uh, equity issues being addressed or being raised by the the movement and the protesters. Again, one of these things that makes him a little harder to pin down is that at the same time, several years ago, back in 2013, he had this long exchange um, with, oh, and I don't have the name right in front of me, so I'm going to mispronounce it, the BD, Anya, uh, I, I don't have this name spelled right right in front of me, and I, I'm going to, a pastor from uh, the Anacostia neighborhood in Washington, D.C., and hmm. uh, they went back and forth on some issues of looking at race and, you know, him saying like, look, this is like the way that you talk about it. And, you know, and they've Doug changed some of his views or at least acknowledged some of the racial justice issues that were being raised. So you can go find some things like that, but they are very, very few and far between. It's like digging for, you know, digging to find a diamond in a, and a mountain, um, there might be one or two there, but it's you've got to dig through a lot of dirt to get there. <laughs> Here's the clip of Doug uh, talking about the uh, riots were evil. I found it. Uh, don't do that again, uh, and don't even think about it. And it was it was buffoon. It was not. It was um, January six. Those people were sheep without a shepherd. It was it, it was a I, I think just really really bad. Um, but it was not evil. Uh, the the riots uh, that were tolerated in burning Portland down, uh, th- that was just evil. So I, I, I just think that's such a, a, a telling clip. Uh, again, you know, we have people and we know, thanks to data, thanks to the the congressional hearings, we know that, that the January 6th insurrection was planned. There was organization. People brought a noose. They wanted to hang the vice president. They committed acts of violence. I mean, it was 100% violent 
uh, ratio, right? Like it was one one yeah. quote unquote protest, <laughs> and it was violent, right? And then you had the Black Lives Matter protest, which to which you said, and this is again widely um, uh, researched. It was, I think, they say it was the largest mass protest ever in America, and were overwhelmingly not violent. And a lot of the violence was actually police initiated upon further research, right? But in Doug's world. Um, you know, what's evil is the protest uh, of injustice uh, against someone who, who was literally murdered by the state, which sounds a lot like Jesus, dare I say. Uh, but the people who, you know, uh, were really basing their entire worldview on a blatant and objectively provable lie. Uh, they were just kind of silly. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So I, I think that's telling. And I know later on, in the, we, we don't have time to play the whole thing, but you you pushed him really hard on this point and he eventually conceded right parts of what you said. But to your point, you would only hear that from Doug if he was challenged directly or if you went digging for that diamond among a lot, a lot of dirt. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, is the BD Anyabuile. What's the name that is blank. Got it. Uh, at one point he was a council member of the gospel coalition, I believe. So anyways, uh, yeah, to your point, Yes. Um, it's you know, part of the rhetoric, how he, he's a bomb thrower as a pundit. Uh, he, a lot, you read his material and you come away, you know, the left feminists, uh, critical race theory, black lives matter are extremist, uh, anti-Christian movements trying to undermine, undermine, uh, America, hmm. Christianity. You know, they want, uh, Marxist agenda, secularism, Marxist secularism, or secular, whatever. Um, and, you know, that's that's the impression you get from reading his material. And then when he talks, he has a different, or when you talk in an interview, he has a much more measured tone, which he also takes on, uh, well, I mean, he, he has a very calm way of talking about things, very, like, genial, kind of like the retired professor, grandfather yes. living next door, uh, yes. you know, who also just happens to have a bunch of extremists and like mainstream people visiting. Uh, right. And this is, I think part of his success and his influence is this demeanor where he comes across, presents himself as being very reasonable, rational, speaking calmly. He's dressed, you know, a jacket, shirt, like a dress shirt, a sweater, you know, he's not again, like chest thumping, like Mark Driscoll aggressive kind of thing. It's very measured, yes. very, he's, he's very well read. Um, yeah. His uh, book list on his blog, like hundreds of books every year. That said, the range of them from what I've seen perusing it is very narrow. There's not like, mm. you know, he's not reading like Franz Fanon and other stuff to balance, you know, or progressive uh, theologians. Um, so, but that, that manner, he comes across that like he can say very extremist things, but present it in a very qu calm, quiet way that kind of, it, so it slips under your radar maybe when you're talking to him. And right. one, I, I was listening to something of a few people that uh, was at the right podcast. Oh, uh, the right, uh, right response. Right. Uh, Oh, wait, it was, it's a podcast that follows extremist Christianity. I forget. Oh, uh, straight white, G straight white. Uh, no, no, it's okay. 
No, no, it's uh, no. Sorry, sorry for this tangent, listeners. <laughs> People like, like you just lost like half the. They're like, all right, that's it. I'm moving on. <laughs> Hang but, in there. You're yeah. So uh, they're they're likening his approach to. Uh, people in the intellectual dark web where they take on this posture of saying like, look, mm-hmm. I'm just asking questions, but the questions they're asking are really, it's equivalent to throwing hand grenades. And then if you challenge them, they, this, as we've seen uh, the people in intellectual dark web, uh, they, you know, are like, well, you're just being irrational and you don't want to engage in open discourse, but it's a very cynical, you know, the, what they're saying is very, is very cynical and, and, uh, and, in some degree, uh, critics would say dishonest because they're not actually trying to engage in legitimate uh, dialogue back and forth. And yes, as these folks were pointing out, like Doug has a lot of those qualities. That said, there are times like few and far between, but like the uh, his discourse back and forth with uh, Thibide Anya Buile. Um, but I couldn't find many others. So, you know, I keep citing that one because it's one of the, it's really the only one that comes to mind. And um, that's like that dramatic where he was like, okay, I'm going to really engage meaningfully and and change my posture a little bit. Oh, actually, he did have a debate series with Christopher Hitchens, which I've been meaning to go listen to, but they probably got along well. He he knew you were interviewing him for 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 this podcast, right? I mean, he yeah. knows who we are, and he, you know, I'm sure he's not a huge fan, at least of our of our viewpoints on these topics. Um, and so, I appreciate him being willing to 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 say, "Yeah, I'll have an interview with you," and I don't mind talking about this stuff and being open and honest. I mean, listen, I'm not here to 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 say, "Oh my God, um, you know, we we have the smoking gun. Like, let's uh, let's you know, hang Doug Wilson." No, I appreciate that Doug is willing to say the quiet parts out loud because when we tell people again, you know, like, "Hey, this is really about control and power." And then you have people say like, yeah, you know, Black Lives Matter was evil or, uh, yeah, you know, I, w- I would love to put Jesus as Lord uh, in the Constitution. It's like we're not exaggerating. We're not making things up. We tell you ultimately they want a place that does not permit pluralism, does not want democracy. Now, Doug would say, cause we, we, and we have the clips, that, well – Ultimately, if the people decide, you know that yeah. that that they want their secular nation back, that's fine. I respect that kind of, I guess, democratic process. But I got to be honest with you, Dan. The more I've been thinking about that and the fact that he said that on on the um, on the uh, interview, actually, let, let me just play it in his words. So that way, his words are out there. I don't want, I don't want him to think that we're twisting his words. So here's the first clip I have labeled: Doug wants limited government. I believe that it's essential to strive for limited government. Okay, so there's Doug's own words, and here's Doug's view on freedom of, freedom, of, freedom of expression. Basically, if it's a Black Lives protest or we need to be doing this or that or the other thing, I, th- I, I really do believe in free speech and free exper- expression, and I believe that that was a development that arose out of a Christian consensus. Okay, so you have this. Here's Doug saying, "Like, no, listen, you know, I I support freedom of speech. I support a limited government, etc." But this is where I feel like it's it's almost a Doug versus Doug scenario because you know Doug has this massive publisher, 
Canon Press. Uh, they they just released a book on it uh, by uh, by a guy named Stephen Wolf called A Case for Christian Nationalism, which actually, by the way, friends, no need to read it. Um, it is it uh, truly is not a good book. Someone wrote a review of it recently. Uh, I mean, almost a chapter by chapter review. And they called it a children's crusade uh, and pretty much said that it's really a nonsensical book. To give you perspective, right, this whole book is about the political reasoning for why Christian nationalism is a good theology of sorts. And the author uses the, uses the Bible 16 times to back up his claims in a 500-page hmm. book, meaning he quotes 16 verses. Now, on, on a new evangelical perspective, that doesn't really bother me because I don't believe in using the Bible as like, you know, pick out the verse and, and there's your point. But for the fundamentalist Christian or for the Rush Duny or for the Doug Wilson, biblical law is the whole foundation of what they're trying to advocate for. So to have a book called A Case for Christian Nationalism and to use only 16 verses, I just find like really telling. But that being said, the reason why I bring this up is because Stephen Wolf, and again, Doug has been promoting the book. He's a fan of the book. He interviewed the author. He's talking to James white about the book i'm gonna play you this clip it's a little bit longer but this is stephen wolf the author of christian nationalism on right response podcast listen to this whole clip and tell me if this to you audience sounds like a world where freedom of speech is protected if this sounds like a world where limited government is in play give me your thoughts it's about a minute long clip this is stephen wolf talking again the book is christian nationalism it's published through canon press doug wilson's publisher here you go my fellow academics or, or, you know, whatever, highbrow thinkers, I actually want it to happen. Uh, and I, I mean, it, it, people might be surprised when they read the kind of the epilogue, what's in there. But it, what's in there is just, again, it's mainly written for men. And it's saying, it, it, like, what, what's going what's gonna to prevent us from being Christian nationalists? Why, what, what's to bring, I mean, to bring it in a Christian nation that follows kind of principles of Christian nationalism. And I think one of it is going to be, uh, I don't think it could happen when women are generally kind of in charge and, and rule things. That's, and that's because women tend not to, they tend to have, they, they have, they're empathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they tend to be more inclusive and men tend to be more exclusive uh, and, they, they, they tend to, yeah. So I, I, there's, there's these, there's these different traits that you see between uh, the sexes and in order to have a, a Christian nation where some, some uh, uh, where blasphemy is punished by someone who seems well-meaning and nice and smiles big, you're going to have to have a guy who says, no, you're going to jail <laughs> I mean, or, or whatever it is that you're fine. Them. I mean, because yeah, I'm, I'm all for blasphemy laws, by the way. Um, if, if you're going to suppress atheism, I mean, there might be some very nice guy who has a big smile, loves atheism. Like, no, atheism is crushed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to be tolerated. Uh, so there you go. I mean, I, I will leave the audience with that clip of Stephen Wolf just saying it all. I mean, saying the whole thing blatantly out loud. Women can't be in any kind of leadership position in, in a society that is Christian nationalist because they're too empathetic and inclusive, which actually sign me up. I'm going over there anyway. And then he advocates for blasphemy laws, again, in a society that's ruled by a constitution that Doug says, you know, uh, we should be following, uh, once we amend it, of course, in the Christian nationalist way, uh, and then says that that, that we're going to snuff out atheism. Uh, so to me, regardless of what Doug might say about, about what he would um, you know, believe for a society that believes in freedom of expression, the books he platforms, the authors he platforms say quite the opposite um, of what they're actually advocating for. 
Yeah, and so I just want to make sure listeners know and just that um, so we're, that we're not misrepresenting Doug, um, that that clip, that was not Stephen Wolf talking to Doug Wilson in that clip. That said, he That's has right. interviewed him, expressed similar views. It's views that uh, Doug Wilson are simply certainly sympathetic to. And the book, as you said, is being published by Canon Press, which uh, was sold off from, it was originally owned by Christchurch, but it has since eventually been sell, sold. That said, it hmm. maintains a close relationship with the church and um, Doug Wilson has a role in it. Um, at least, uh, I actually, I should stop talking about that because I don't know and I don't want to misstate his role uh, in relationship to Canon Press. Well, I'll, I'll put it this way. As of right now, November 3rd, Doug is at least pr- pr- uh, pr- promoting the book on his own Twitter. Uh, Stephen Wolf's book cracked the top 100 at Amazon despite our marketing for the book getting canceled by Twitter. Check it out now. So at yeah. a minimum, Doug is a fan of the book. He's a fan of the author, uh, et cetera. Yeah, even if maybe it's a little murky as far as the relationship between him and Canon Press. No, I mean, I, I don't mean to, sorry. I, I didn't mean to make it sound murkier than it is. Canon Press is very much a part of his his empire. I just was okay. That's helpful. clarifying, but apparently not. I apparently just made it murkier. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, like I said, I mean, to, you can look this up for yourself, friends. Uh, at, at a minimum, they're at least handshaking a lot. Um, you know, Doug is all over Canon Press, his website, and uh, except, you know, his yeah, daughter's no, published through I mean, Canon Press. It's so all they're pretty part linked. of what he's created there in Moscow. Um, you know, Dan, I appreciate you kind of putting all this together. Um, do you have any kind of like final thoughts on on your takeaways interviewing Doug and just like and in in your research? I mean, any final thoughts? Oh, there's um, you know, well, so one thing I know we, we've got to wrap up, but one thing that I I think really encapsulates his his I guess. The extremism of, but and and to some degree the intellectual uh, consistency of of his views uh, is that clip from nine eleven uh, in the wake of September eleventh. I don't know if you've got that. Oh, I have it. I have it, it. It on the one hand, it's consistent in that he's saying like, no, like this. What's most important is our religion, which is something that. People, you know, practicing Christians, in, I mean, in every, in many religions, every religion, that's people who are very devout will say the most important thing is, is our religion. And then everything follows from that. Um, that said, how he applies it in this situation is, I think, shocking to a lot of people. And it, yeah, it, I, I'll let it speak for itself. Yeah, so I'm going to play this clip. This is right after 9-11. And I, I want to emphasize, and by the way, I grew up in fundamentalism. I I I know what it's like, you know, to have this view of 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 my beliefs are just how God is. Um, but listening to this now, it really is um shocking. And I think it's important for the audience to understand how absolutely rigid Doug and many of his friends are in these fundamental fundamentalist circles are because because it's not even about being Christian. It's about being a very specific type of Christian, the type of Christian that Doug Wilson either is or that he approves of. So here's the clip from Doug Wilson on 9-11. I just want to give it another warning. This language is very intense. It's very um, – it's just intense. So here we go. 
If we do not see that God is in this because God is in everything, God dispensed this because God dispenses everything, if we don't see this, then everything we say downstream from that will blur into humanistic nonsense. And if you doubt what I say, I want you to consider what the true horror of this last week was. What was the worst event of this last week? It was not the collapse of the World Trade Towers. It was not the bombing of the Pentagon. The worst event of this last week happened in Washington, D.C., when a polytheistic worship service was organized in the National Cathedral, and it was presided over by a lady bishop. It was this polytheistic worship service invoked the God of the Muslims and the Hindus and the Buddhists and who knows what else. And the leading evangelical spokesman was there and lent his approval, gave his approval to this. That so there you go. That clip, it's not something that you or I dug out from you know, 20 years ago. It, I mean, that's when he, he you know, made those remarks, but it was that sermon or that uh, was run on one of his podcasts, All of Christ All the Time, within the past few years. I, I forget exactly, but I came across it in early on doing my research here. So it's not something that it's like, Something, some skeleton in the closet that he doesn't want, that he's disowned. He ran this again within the past few years. And, yeah. I, I want to be clear about something as we wrap up. And, and friends, thanks for hanging in. I, I hope that this was uh, educational for you. I hope it was informative. And I hope that it helps you understand why we talk about Christian nationalism so much. I want to make something very clear, though. I support Doug Wilson's right to believe whatever he wants. I support Doug Wilson's right to say those words on after 9-11 that I think are abhorrent. What we don't support is Doug and others trying to map on their fundamentalism into a society that would overwrite and overrule the religious beliefs and rights of others. It's just that simple. You know, as Andrew Seidel, a constitutional lawyer, says, your right to swing a fist be- stops where my face begins. And, and, and it's just that simple. So this is not about us trying to cancel Doug or trying you know, to say, oh, well, in our society, Doug should never be allowed to say that. No, I support freedom of expression and freedom of speech. But Doug is way beyond that. He wants to map on to our constitution. He wants to map on to our legal framework. Uh, um, his fundamentalism that he believes is the only right and ordered way that the God of all that, that, that the God of all creation has demanded, um, you know, things be ordered by. That is why we critique this, not because we don't like the views. People can live their lives however they like. If, if Doug's wife and Doug like living how they want to live and they want to live somewhere and, 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 and have these beliefs, they can do it. But the issue is when they're advocating for these things to happen um, in a way that would overwrite and overrule the rights and, and and religious beliefs and freedom of expression that they have to exist in the public life without being discriminated against. That is the difference. Um, any final thoughts, uh, Dan? One thing I, I think is important to understand about Doug Wilson is that he is not focused on the next election. He's focused mm-hmm. on winning a culture war mm-hmm. to create an America that you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years from now. Yeah. 
No, I. That's a great point to bring out, friends. I, I again, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as much as you can. I would love feedback on it if, if it was helpful, if it was educational, informative, if it gave you better frameworks uh, for resisting Christian nationalism. And Dan, again, thank you for all your time and hard work. I know you put a lot of hours into researching this and getting this whole show really put together. So thanks for doing it, and it means a lot. And I think you helped a lot of people today. Well, thank you, and hopefully, I did. <laughs> 